you please stand for the reading of God's word? My name is Skylar Hogan. We're reading Luke 13, 1 through 9. There were some present at that very time who told them about the Galileans' blood who Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, and he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence. Holy Spirit, open our ears. I pray that we would listen and obey what you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we give a hand to Skyler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. What a great job. You know, he just sacrificed his entire Sunday to come and read for us. So I think that's awesome. All right, so a couple things. First, oh, Pastor Jason left. Never mind. I will not speak behind his back. He forgets that I've been in the vehicle that he's been driving. So I know about his driving habits as well. But anyway, we will not go down that path. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We will rather move to more important matters today. Uh, how many of you know what today is? Some of you said Sunday. Yeah. It's like, I'm so happy that it's Sunday. Some of you are like, Sunday, because tomorrow's Monday. But some of you had the correct answer. Which, oh, those two are correct as well. But today is Veterans Day. What is it? Come on. So now we want to celebrate and honor those of you that have served or are current active members of our armed forces. So if you please can stand for a moment. All of you that have served that are serving in the military, come on. Praise God. Got some in the balcony as well. Now, please remain standing. Um, yes, thank you. Because we want those around you to pray for you. If your families are here too, spouses, kids, whatever, stand with them as well. Because this is a family thing, right? So if your spouses are here with you or kids, please stand up. And those of you right around them, lay hands on them and pray. That's our pray, okay? We're going to do this as a family. So turn around, pray for them. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, that you, like these men and women, understand what it means to fight for freedom. For you gave your only son, God, that we may have freedom, that we may have the liberties that we enjoy, God, and they have given of their lives, God, 
for our freedom, that we can freely come into this place today and celebrate and worship and honor and adore you, God. Thank you for their sacrifice. Thank you for the sacrifice of their spouses, of their families, God. Thank you, Lord, that when they're deployed, they're, they're elsewhere, that you take care of them. And thank you, God, that you take care of the families as well. Father, I pray blessings upon them. I pray, God, that you will continue to open the floodgates of heaven on their behalf. We pray, Father, for health. We pray, God, for increase. Lord, may you provide their daily bread. Lord, thank you. And I declare freedom in their own lives, Lord, and in their family's life. In Jesus' name. And all God's people say amen. All right, thank you so much. It is very, very important. Now, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 13. And something happens here that, um, that was not good. There was some bad news that Jesus received. And I want you to know that this, what, what Pilate did here in verse 1, Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor at the time. What he did was not something that was unusual um, for him to do. That was not, it was not something that surprised the Jews because it is, it is documented. Even, even the Jewish historian Josephus documents that of, of the things that Pilate had done to anger the Jews. One of those times he, he documented that he stole money from the temple treasury to build an aqueduct. So it's like, it's like the government just coming into all of the churches in America, taking all the money, say, hey, give me all the money that you have in the bank and they go build something with it. You know, not right. And this time now, it says in verse one that that there were some present that at that very time that told him, that told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. That means that Pilate orders these Galileans that came to the temple to offer a sacrifice to be murdered. And that's the story that Jesus is greeted with. They tell him about what Pilate did. And this is not only a horrendous, horrific thing to kill these innocent Jewish Galileans that, that, were, that were at the temple, but also now they have defiled the temple. Because as it says here, it's, they have mingled, their blood have mingled with the sacrifice. So he's attacking the, their very religion, their very faith, right? So now the question is, why do they bring this up to Jesus? What's the point here? You know, this is this is brilliant. What Jesus does here in this passage is, is just absolutely brilliant and fantastic. I love the way that that he takes something and flip it on his on his head on its head. He he takes a political thing and tur turns it into a spiritual matter. Okay, and we're going to talk about that. Let's let's remember here that Jesus is is. Is moving towards Jerusalem. So he owes, he's making a pilgrimage. He's making his, his move from towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where he needs to be. Jerusalem is where the will of God will be fulfilled. Jerusalem was where he needs to arrive to. Okay? 
And as he is moving towards Jerusalem, he is leading, basically, he's at the head of, of this Galilean uh, um, pilgrimage towards Jerusalem. And now he is, they, they communicate to him what Pilate had done, which is killed his Galileans that were at the temple to, to offer sacrifice. And don't you hate it when your son is calling you and you are up here? Maybe I should put him on speaker and say, you got something good to say? It's a few hundred people that want to hear. Anyway, sorry about that. Um, but he is leading this, 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 he's ahead of, of this group of people. And they come and give him these news that Pilate hath murdered these Galileans that came to, to offer sacrifice. Now, why did they do that? They're putting Jesus in a very awkward position. Because, see, it's, it's not just telling him, hey, like, the, this is what happened. This is what Pilate did. No, 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 no. It's more like, Jesus, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Because, see, they have seen what Jesus have done, the miracles and signs. And they have heard the message. But now it's, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do? Because he has two options, as you and I will see it. He has two options. He has the option of saying, you know what? What, ha what happened here is wrong. What happened here is so wrong. And he has a chance to condemn the Romans and Pilate for what he has done. But if he does that, something's going to happen. Have you guys ever heard of uh, that news travels what? Yeah. And so it was in those times. So whatever Jesus communicates in public, guess what? Is going to be communicated back in Jerusalem where he's going to. And the Romans are going to find out. So choice number one, not a good choice. Because if he completely openly denounces what has happened and, and, he, and he takes that position, that political position, then the Romans are going to find out and those religious leaders that have been looking for an excuse to lock him up are going to find out as well. But then option number two is not a good one either. Option number two is for him to completely ignore that this even happened. Not even make mention of it. And that's not a good one because then he could be labeled as pro-Rome. Uh, pro and he can be labeled as someone that completely disregard the suffering of his people. He doesn't want to be labeled as that either. So what does Jesus do? He takes a political event an event a current event of his of his time and turn it into a god cares about and we see that in verse number two verse number two says that in jesus answered, do you think that these galileans were worse sinners than all other galileans because they suffer in this way so wait a minute J just imagine with me for a moment that you are part of this gathering. You're part of this group of people. You just heard that somebody came and said this story about these innocent people being murdered and slaughtered by Pontius Pilate. And now Jesus comes and asks a question that seemingly has nothing to do with the matter at hand. Nothing to do with it. Imagine that you are part of that crowd and perhaps you had a family member. That was one of those that was slaughtered. And what Jesus does is he asks a question. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans? And do you think that's 
Is that why they suffer in this way? Tell you what, Jesus, Jesus is flipping this thing again, this kingdom upside down. And as I ponder that question, I think it's a question that every single one of us need to think about, need to ponder. Raphael, do you think that they are the worst sinners? Do you think that the prostitute is a worse sinner? Do you think that the child molester is a worse sinner? Do you think that that murderer is a worse sinner? Do you think that they are worse sinners? See, I don't know about you guys, but I tend to have what I call a sin scale. <laughs> yeah, there's some nervous laughs. I know you have it too. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like this sin scale. It's like, it kind of like the scales that we give to tornadoes or um, hurricanes. You know, I come from the island, so I understand hurricane a lot better than tornado. I don't like tornadoes. Like they happen when you're sleeping and you don't even expect them. Like nobody knows. Don't like it. But anyway, so it's like this scale that we give, right? It's like a hurricane. So you have, you have, a, you have a scale of how bad it will be. So, like, if it's a tropical storm, it's like, eh, we get a little bit of rain. We could have some hot chocolate, right? We don't drink hot chocolate. We drink coffee. But you get my point. It's like, eh, not a big deal, right? But in this, this is a category two or so. Oh, you need to kind of seek shelter. There's going to be some, some winds, you know, and it could be dangerous. But if it hits, like, category five, it's like, whoa, you, you have to make sure that everything is tied down, that you are hiding, that your windows are boarded up, everything. It's like sh- destruction is surely going to happen. There's going to be some people that are going to die. And that's kind of like how I, I tend to think about sin. And some of us do, right? It's like, that one is a tropical storm. This one is a category five. Yep. It's going to be death. Um... You know, it's like we do things like, oh, that, that's a white lie. Like that's better than a black lie. I don't, I don't understand it. Like, yeah, I'm sleeping with my girlfriend. You know, we're kind of trying before we buy. But it's, it's not that bad. Everybody's doing it. But, but we're both single, you know. We're both single. We're not cheating on anybody. We're not committing adultery. Right? And we have... This qualifiers that we put on sin. And we start thinking, well, that's acceptable. This is acceptable. That's unacceptable. Like for some, some reason, we've come to believe that if you're, uh, if you're using meth, that's worse than me screaming at my kids and talking down to them. I somehow... If you're out there and you kill somebody, that's a lot worse than me abusing my wife verbally or physically. As I read the scriptures, I don't see God having a sin scale. To God, sin is sin. And he came to die for sin. And not one is higher than the other. How do I know that? Because Jesus asked the question, but he answered his question too. So he asked the question, he says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans? And then in verse 3, he says, no. 
I tell you, but unless you repent, you will likewise, likewise perish. Jesus is saying, you know what? If you thought that this happened to them because they were the wrong, that the worst of sinners, you got it wrong. See, Jesus turns this conversation from a judging them conversation into a mirror. It's like bad sinners, right? How about you? Judge yourself. Take the speck out of your own eye before, oh, take, take the lug out of your eye before you try to deal with the speck in your brother's eye. So he says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. Unless you repent. What does that mean? That means that nobody else can do it for you. It's your choice and your choice alone. It says, unless you repent. It doesn't matter how much I love my kids. I cannot repent for them. Doesn't matter how much I love you. I can't repent for you. You can't repent for me. That is a choice that we individually make. And it is a choice. You either do it or don't do it. So now let's talk about repentance for a moment. What is that? To repent. To repent is to turn from evil and turn to God. I'm going to say that again. Repentance is to turn from evil and turn to God. So, see, when Jesus says you will likewise perish, this is not only a you're dying and going to hell kind of message. They understood that perishing involved a lot more than just your afterlife. He's talking here about the consequences of living a life without repentance. You surely will perish. You know, as we talked in the in a men's conference, uh, we talked about King David and King Saul. And there you see a clear contrast of repentance. Because whenever Saul screwed up, whenever he messed up, he will be sorry. Why? Because the prophet will come and tell him, you screwed up. And he would say, I'm sorry, but there was always an, a but. There was always a reason why I did this thing. But David, on the other hand, he knew that he messed up. And he turned, oh, turned from evil to God. See, that is very, very important. That's a component. You have to turn from evil, but turn to God. You know how many times in my life, before I give my life to Jesus, I try to turn from evil? Because I, I knew I wasn't doing what was right. I knew that I was doing things that were wrong and I needed to turn from evil. But I wasn't turning to God. And let me tell you today, that does not work. It doesn't work. Because unless you finish the equation and you turn to God, you're not going to have the power that you need. You're not going to have the power to say no to temptation. You're not going to have the power of Holy Spirit to move you towards God. Because guess what? Sin is going to continue to pull you. And if you don't turn to God, then you don't have the blood of Jesus, the blood of the Lamb of God that paid for your sin. So you're not paid for yet. So you're still a slave to Satan no matter how much you're trying to turn from evil. 
And some of you today need to turn to God. Turn from evil, but turn to God. Now, Jesus moves on and to prove his point in verses four and five, then Jesus um, brings another one of the events that the Israelites were familiar with. So then he says to them, "Okay, how about the 18 that died in Jerusalem because the tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they died because they were the worst of sinners in Jerusalem? No. But I tell you that unless you repent, you likewise perish. What's he doing here? He's saying, guess what, guys? It is all about repentance. It is not about Pilate. And it's not about one man's hatred against you and against our people. It's none of that. But it is about repentance. Um, T.W. Manson suggests that a parable is a literary creation in narrative form designed to either portray a type of character for warning or example or to embody a principle of God's governance of the world and man. That's what a parable is. That's very wordy and complicated. I really like how Pastor Jason put it, put it a couple of weeks ago. He said that a, that a parable is a, a picture that Jesus paints. He paints this picture that you can clearly see, Right? And then he turns that picture into a mirror that you can see yourself in it. After you see the picture, it's like, oh, I think I may know what this is. And then it goes, oh, I see myself in that story. And then he turns that picture, that picture into a mirror and a mirror into a window that then you can see your life and your world, your world through. And this is what Jesus moves into now. He shares a parable. He shares his story that he wants the hearer to First, see what he's trying to talk about. Okay, I kind of get it somewhat. And then to actually see themselves in it and that they see their world through that. And he shares a story of the fig tree. The, 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 the parable of the fig tree. So, he talks about a, a vineyard owner that plants a fig tree in his vineyard. So the hearer here, the Jewish people, they understood what he was saying. Because to me, I'm thinking, if I got a vineyard, right? I want grapes. Why would I plant a fig tree in it? Doesn't make sense. That, that plant doesn't belong there. But they understood why. See, back in those days, there was, it, was, it was common. That was a common practice. Because the fig tree was good for the grapes, and also, they would allow the vines to grow up on the fig trees, onto the fig trees to provide support. So they understood that. Physically makes sense. But Jesus also is bringing this up because there's actually a spiritual tie into all of this with the fig tree. And we see that in the meaning and what they, what they associated a fig tree with. They associated a fig tree with peace and prosperity and safety. And also the absence of, of the a fig tree was considered judgment. Let's see what it says in First Kings chapter 4, verse 25. It says, And Judah and Israel lived in safety, right, from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree all the days of Solomon. See, they lived in safety. Every man under his vine and under his fig tree. 
So they understood this spiritual principle. This is how they associated the fig tree. Fig tree equals safety. No fig tree equals judgment. So Jesus is bringing something that they understand, a principle that they're used to, to highlight the spiritual reality. So in this parable here, we see the the vineyard owner comes three years in a row. The first year he comes, no fruit. Second year he comes, no fruit. Third year he comes, no fruit. And now he tells the vine dresser or the gardener, he says, cut it down. And he says this statement, where I kind of like, he says, why should it take up space? Cut it down. God is looking for fruit. Something happens here with the expectation. See, God has an expectation. And if you're a father or a mother, you, you know what I'm talking about. You have certain expectations of your children. But see, their, their, their relationship dictates what the expectation is. And the maturity level dictate, dictates what the fruit that we're looking for is. See, I can't, my expectation of my 15-year-old son is not the same as my 8-year-old son. There's different expectations. And here in this parable, we see how, how the vineyard owner was not expecting really too much out of the tree in the first year. He was okay. No fruit. He came back the second year. No fruit. Now by year three, when he came back, there was a certain expectation that that tree needed to have produced what? Yes. Very important. So then we, we hear, we get back into the parable and the story and the vine dresser, the gardener says, sir, hold on, hold, don't, don't cut it. Don't cut it. Please don't cut it. Let me, let me take care of it. Let, let me take care of this, this fig tree. I'll take care of it for one year. Just give it one more year. I'll dig around it and I, and I put manure all around it. I put manure all over it. And if it doesn't produce fruit, then you can cut it. But if it produces fruit, then all is well. As I was reading this, you know, some of you may be thinking, um, do you guys know what manure means? Yeah, don't, don't say it out loud, not in church. But um, even though Josh already used it earlier during worship, <laughs> that, was, that was awesome. I think it's okay. Anyway, um, some of you may be thinking, hey, um, you know what? My life is, I got manure all over, all around, man. It's always all around me. Have you stopped and thought that maybe God has given you another chance? Yep, maybe God is offering you another season because he's coming looking for fruit and he's not finding the fruit. Just saying. So, again, there's importance in the fig tree because fig tree equal safety. No fig tree equal judgment. Now, what does that mean to us today? 2,000 plus years after this was said. This is what Klein Snodgrass says. In our day, we have little awareness of judgment and certainty and certainly uh, no sense of time of judgment or any sense of crisis. We're insulted with such ideas. We do not know when we will be called into account for our lives. We need to recover some, some sense that our actions really are significant and remember that the gospel includes judgment, mercy, 
and a call to repentance and productive living. Well, ouch, what does all that mean? The gospel has mercy. The gospel definitely has grace. The gospel definitely has blessings that come with those that hear it and respond. But the gospel is also judgment. You can't separate the two. It's like I want to have. <laughs> it's like I want to have all the fried food, but I don't want to get fat. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. Maybe when you're Levi's age, you don't ever get fat, right? When you're young. But as you get older, you're going to feel the effects. We cannot separate grace and mercy from the judgment of God. He is a right, the, the righteous judge, and he judges rightly. So Jesus, the vineyard owner, I mean, God, the vineyard owner, is coming and asking the gardener, Jesus, to cut down the tree. I'm looking for fruit. I haven't seen it. Cut it down. Jesus says, give it one more season, Father. Now, what kind of fruit are we looking for here? Does God really care that much about figs? I don't think so. But there's something. There's a fruit that, that, the, that the word mentions. And I, and I want to highlight it and mention it to you. Matthew chapter 3, verse 8. It says, keep fruit, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what it means. So fruit in keeping with repentance. What does it mean? But I love how the New Living Translation puts it. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your, of your, sin, of your sins and turned to God. Prove by the way you live that you have repented. And that you have turned to God. So what we do is important. Sometimes we want to put it all on God. And sometimes we want to put it all on us. Neither one is correct. It's something that only God can do and something that only we can do. So as I said, again, as, as we get ready to close here, repentance is, is turning from evil, but turning to God. So if we merely just say, I'm sorry, that's really not repentance. Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse 10 says this for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Please stand. I feel like I'm saying every, this every every week when I'm up here. But right now is not the time for you to grab your stuff and start thinking about lunch. Lunch is going to come. But right now is an opportunity for you to respond to what God is saying to you specifically. It's an opportunity for you to actually look at that in that mirror and examine yourself. See, the owner of the vineyard is looking for fruit. So what kind of fruit is on your tree? Is there any fruit? Today is a day of repentance. 
See, unlike me, God doesn't have a sin scale. But today he has called you to respond and to repent. And maybe perhaps you're here today and you have no idea of what I'm talking about. Or you have never, you have tried many times again and again, like I did in the past, to try to turn away from evil. But you have never turned to God. You have never turned to Jesus. And if that's you today, if you would take just a moment, slip up your hand and say, I want to turn to God. I'm going to turn from evil, but I want to turn to God. If that's you, let me see your hands. And I want to pray with you. I see your hands in the balcony. God bless you. I see your hand, young man. God bless you. Anybody else? I see your hand up there, your hand up here. There's several hands. Several hands. Now you're turning from evil and you're turning to God. I want to ask you to do something very bold today, and that is to come up here to the front. Why am I asking you to do that? Because it takes response. It takes for you to do something that you're not comfortable with because it's a decision, right? This was a very public display. See, fruit is public. When a tree has fruit, you can see it. So come on down. Of this young man coming. Anybody else? Those of you that lift your hands, praise God. Come on, church, praise God. Thank you, Lord.